0: You taking a breath this week, or have you been running like crazy? If not, let's take a breath right now. (sighs) Doesn't that feel good? Just to breathe? That song that we started today, I Can't Wait. Lisa, you were talking about, did that song kind of stay on our brain this week? It stayed on my brain all week long. I dreamed that song. I woke up to that song. I can't wait. I can't wait. it made me think, is that how we're feeling about the upcoming holiday season? Are we in a place where we are anticipating the holy days, all the joy and excitement of the season, a re-experience of the incarnation of Jesus Christ who comes to live with us and walk with us and be with us? I can't wait for that part of it, but there's one part I can wait for, and that is the gift-giving part. I have to confess, I am suffering from a condition this morning, and it is the gift-giving anxiety syndrome. I always struggle with what to give to the people in my life, I I sniff around and kind of figure out what their hobbies are, and and I still have that, that challenge of what to get for the person who has everything. And it seems like a minor issue, but let me tell you, I have seen this issue come very close to breaking up some relationships. In fact, I made a mistake about 15 years ago when I gave my partner a gift certificate for Christmas. Not a good idea. (laughs) Just try it and see what kind of response you get. One of my prayers and hopes and goals for us this year is that we really do the holidays differently this year, that the holidays would become holy days. Last week I said the first tool in accomplishing that was to really go into the season with an idea of doing it differently and not trying to meet everyone's expectations, to make a change this year and to take a risk during the holidays so that they'll become holy days. Another tool in that is a tool that I would suggest we look at as one of the tools to approach differently this season, and that is true giving. To approach giving in an entirely different way, maybe to look at it as something deeper than just a material gift. The truth is that some of us have more money than we do time. And so a really significant gift would be a gift that somehow is sharing our life with another person. In our Scripture today, we have some ideas of what true giving really is like. In our Scripture today, we see Jesus not acting and not moving, but doing something we've not really seen Him do that often. Scripture says that He is watching. He's watching the crowd as they go to place their offerings in the offering plate. Now, how intimidating is that? (laughs) Imagine if Jesus was here some Sunday morning, not saying a word, not doing anything, but simply watching all of us as the plate passed. Well, that's what's happening in this scripture today. And what's amazing is that as he is watching he sees something that challenges him in a unique and powerful way. In fact, he sees one woman who draws his attention to the point that he later calls his disciples together to talk about what he has seen and what he has witnessed. What has he seen? He has seen someone who embodies his mission. He sees someone who can point us to a way of worshiping and being church in a new and different way. Scripture says she is a poor widow. And what I wonder is, what did Jesus see in her that compelled him to draw his disciples together? I think the first thing that Jesus saw in her was someone who had every reason not to give, but chose to give anyway. Now, to understand this insight, we need to look at the full context of this Scripture. We need to look at what's happening just before this particular Scripture that we shared today as part of our responsive reading. I would like Reverend Gloria to give us the verses that precede what we read together and then flow on into what we shared but in a different translation. The translation you're going to hear now is the message translation, and it includes the full context of what's happening in this Scripture.
1: Jesus said, watch out for the religious authorities. They love to walk around in academic gowns, preening in the radiance of public flattery, basking in prominent positions. Sitting at the head table at every church function. And all the time, they're exploiting the weak and helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they get. But they'll pay for it in the end. Sitting across from the offering box, Jesus was observing how the crowd tossed money in the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all."
0: Okay. That first part you read talks about the religious authorities of that time. What's important here is Jesus is showing us this poor widow in contrast to the religious authorities. What they are doing is abusing her. At that time, the church had incredible power. The church had a legal role. The church had a religious role and the church had a significant financial role. They were like bankers and lawyers and preachers all rolled in together. <laughs> Imagine that combination. But that's what it was like. And so what, is, what happens here is that this poor widow, whenever her husband died and she lost her family, what money was left over was not given to her but given to the church to manage. Because at that time they felt that women did not have the ability to manage funds. Now it seems that the church would be benevolent towards those for whom they were responsible. The church was given the role of stewardship over the poor widow. But instead what happened was the church took that money and used it for itself, used it to buy the long robes and to host the big fancy banquets, and then just gave a small pittance to the widow. Now, the question I have is, not only did she not have a reason to give, she had a reason to be ticked off and to be angry. In fact, she had a reason not even to be at church based on the way the church was treating her. But what happens in this passage? She shows up and she gives what she has. Now, one little important detail here. Notice that the scripture says she has two coins. Why would that be be in there? I think that's there because it means that she had a choice. She could have kept one of those coins for herself, for her own purposes. But instead, there is something in her that leads her to give all of what she has. Now, in many ways, this is a powerful indictment of the church, It shows that somehow the church had lost its focus and had lost its mission. That someone who was isolated and lonely would not be ministered to. It's a tragic indictment. In fact, she had become an outcast. She had every reason not to give, but she gave anyway. She had every excuse not to give. She is a tremendous challenge to me because sometimes as I look at what I'm called to give, I look at all the demands on my finances. And sometimes I wonder how God's going to make everything balance. And sometimes I find myself making responsible excuses In her case, she had every reason not to give, but we don't see an excuse or hear an excuse from her. We see someone who faithfully gives. Her giving was an act of trust, an act of belief, an act of hope. Maybe as she was giving that gift, she was praying that her act of giving would somehow lead to change. I think that's what Jesus saw in her. She got it! She got what he was trying to do. That all of us are called to live our faith in a way that represents all of who we are. Not the pieces we hold back, but a full giving of a full heart. An IRS agent was going through audits and came across a really unusual audit. Came across a senior woman who had an income of about $10,000 a year. But her contribution was around $1,300 a year. Of course, this caused her to be tagged for an audit. The IRS agent got there expecting some hostility. But when he got there, she opened the door with a real sense of hospitality. She was not nervous at all like like he expected. She, She offered him coffee. He thought that she would get defensive when he asked for receipts, but instead she had them carefully saved in a drawer and she pulled out the receipts and he looked and sure enough, she'd given almost $1,300 with only a $10,000 a year income. He wasn't sure how that was possible, but he was inspired by what he saw in her. He was inspired by what he saw from her heart and her generous spirit. Before he left, she thanked him for coming. And then she said, I'd like to invite you to my church. Come come worship with us. And his response was, Well, I, I would like to, but I already have a church. And then with no sense of arrogance, she said, Hmm, the thought that you went to church never crossed my mind. <laughs> Now, because she said it with, with, with a spirit that was not accusatory, he was, he was kind of challenged by that statement. He pondered it. It didn't feel like an attack, but it made him think. He wondered, why had it never crossed her mind that I even had a church? It became clear the next Sunday when the offering plate passed, and he put his dollar in and then saw the plate go down the aisle. Though he had a full income, his giving was about $50 a year, but here was this one who gave not only from her income, but from her heart, who modeled a generous spirit. That's the second thing that Jesus saw in this poor widow today. He saw someone who had every reason not to give, someone who probably had a long list of excuses but didn't use them, but he also saw someone who embodied true giving, this poor widow with hardly any money to her name, Jesus pointed to her and said, this is the future of the church. This is our mission. She lives my heart. Jesus calls us to give with hearts that embody His Spirit. There's a wonderful book called My Grandfather's Blessing by Naomi Riemann. And in the book, she tells stories that her grandfather taught her. He was a teacher. And when she was only five years old, he taught her some wonderful lessons about true giving, giving from the heart. He taught her what was called the eight levels of giving. And even as a five-year-old, it touched her forever, the eight levels of giving.
1: At the eighth and most basic level of giving to others, one begrudgingly buys a coat for someone who is cold and has asked for help. The coat is given in full view of witnesses. The giver waits to be thanked. At the seventh level, one buys the coat begrudgingly, but does not need to be asked. The coat is given in full view of witnesses, and the giver waits to be thanked. At the sixth level, one buys the coat With an open heart and a positive spirit, without waiting to be asked for help. The coat is given in full view of witnesses, and the giver waits to be thanked. At the fifth level, one buys the coat with an open heart and a positive spirit, and gives the gift in private, without expectation of being thanked. At the fourth level, one does not buy a coat. Rather, with an open heart, gives their own coat to the one who is cold, without expectation of being thanked. At the third level, one gives their own coat The person receiving the coat does not know who gave it to them, yet the giver knows who received the coat. At the second level, one gives their own coat without knowing who will receive it, yet the one who receives it knows to whom they are indebted. At the first and purest level of giving, one gives their own coat away without knowing who will receive it. And the one who receives does not know who has given the coat. True giving becomes a natural expression of the goodness in us, and we give as simply as flowers breathe out their perfume.
0: Hmm. True giving, true giving that comes from the heart, true giving that is offered without expectation but simply offered with love. This is what the poor widow in our scripture embodied. Jesus saw in her someone who gave even though they had what seems to be no reason to give. And he saw someone who embodied true giving. That's what Jesus saw in her. But I wonder what we See in her. As I've looked at this woman from the scripture today, I see someone who challenges us to be more. I see someone who challenges us to a faith that ministers to the outcast, that ministers to the isolated and the lonely. I see someone who had a belief in a God who was more than enough. I see someone who had limited resources but didn't live that way. Someone with limited resources who did not have limited faith. Someone who gave her gift with the belief that God would use it and multiply it and somehow bring about a change that only God could imagine. It's so easy for us to get into a deficit mentality. I I think it happens in our relationships sometimes. We, we, we don't challenge each other in our love relationships. And they get stagnant, and, and they lose their challenge. There is enough love for us to live lives of challenge and vision. Sometimes when it comes to our goals, we get into that deficit mentality. We get that idea that I've tried to do it before, and it didn't work, and I was pulled down, so I'm not going to disappoint myself again by trying again. I'm just going to let things be the way they are. It's a deficit mentality. And if you happen to turn to whatever page in the bulletin today, it would be easy for us to have a deficit mentality as a church. Because we do have a deficit when you look at the budget itself. We need to be honest about that. But the danger in that is it would be easy for us all to walk around here with like a neon sign on our forehead that says, Deficit, Deficit, Deficit. Well, we do not have a deficit, God. And what's powerful in this scripture is that we have a woman who did not believe in deficits. She certainly didn't believe it in her own life. And even though she'd been abused by the church, she did not believe it in relationship to the church. She kept believing that God was going to do something new and do something powerful. And she saw it embodied in Jesus Christ. What's powerful in this scripture is that when we look at this woman, we are moved past the deficit to ministry. She is our mission. We are called to be a place that offers connection and engagement and service and ministry and love to the outcast. When we look at the ministry that we're called to offer, we can't help but see past the deficit. And the reality is, a deficit only gets deeper when you focus on it, because you develop that deficit mentality. When we talk about raising funds towards the end of the year, it's not about defeating deficit, but about doing ministry funding ministry, making it happen. The other thing she shows us is that if we simply give with the kind of heart that she modeled, there is more than enough for every need to be met in a powerful way. God is at work. So our call is not to defeat the deficit, but do ministry and fund ministry so that we can be the church God's calling us to be. This woman has truly challenged me, and so many times as I look through Scripture, I find myself saying, if I could only have her at church, it would be so powerful. If we could just interview her, if we could all just personally meet her. If she was here this morning and I had a chance to interview her, I wonder what she would say. Or if she had an opportunity to speak, I I wonder what she would say. Well, there's a song that I think if she was here and could sing, she would sing. Because she was an outcast who looked beyond her needs and saw what God could do. Listen now to the song of the poor widow.